Well, I greet each one of you this morning in Jesus' name. Um, count it a privilege to be here in your midst and say that I uh, found, uh, found it a blessing already to be here, to hear the thoughts of uh, the brothers as they shared uh, some of the uh, things that were on their heart, um, some of those things... Uh, Align very well with what I would like to share this morning. Um, I'm having trouble with my paper here. I've got it folded the wrong way. Um, I um, I can say, I guess, before I begin the message here this morning, that I am not preaching this because I think you need it and I don't. I'm not preaching this because I know of a particular need in your congregation. I am um, preaching this because it's a burden on my own heart and it's a desire in my own life um, to be, be what God would have me to be, to be all that God would have me to be. You know, um, the uh, U.S. Army for over 20 years their uh, recruiting slogan was, Be all you can be. Well, this morning, I'd like to say to you, Be all that God wants you to be. That's the burden of my message this morning. Are we all that God wants us to be? Are we doing all that God would want us to do? Are we being who God would want us to be? And that's the burden of my message. But before we go into the message, let's just bow our heads to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do come this morning in Jesus' name. We come, Lord, we look to You. Father, we do. We do, O Father, again pray that You would pour out a blessing. Lord, May we be dead to the world and alive unto you. Oh, Father, cleanse and refine our thought and affection. May we be wholly thine, wholly thine to serve you, to be about your business. Lord, I do pray that you would anoint my lips, that you would give me unction of the Holy Spirit to speak your word to bring it forth in the way that you would have it spoken. And Lord, may you be glorified and may each one of these, your children, be edified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn your Bibles to Esther, book of Esther, chapter 4. This is not a um, an unfamiliar scripture probably to anyone here. And I probably won't say anything unfamiliar to you or un, uh, something you haven't uh, heard or thought about yourself sometime. But I'd like to pick out a certain part of it and maybe use it a bit as a springboard for what God has laid on my heart. Esther chapter 4, begin reading in verse 1. But before I do that, just a little bit of background here to, to uh, fill us in with what has happened before now. We've uh, got before this in, in chapter 3, you can see where um, Haman was uh, lifted up as uh, the second in command in the kingdom there. And he had all these people as he would walk through, they would bow down before him. All but one man. All but this one man, Mordecai, he just stood there and wouldn't bow down and wouldn't give him the reverence and respect that he thought he ought to have. And in fact, in what was asked of them by that that kingdom in that time, they wouldn't, Mordecai wouldn't do it. And, And this irritated Haman. This irritated him to the point that he decided there's something has to be done about it. He he uh, went to uh, the king and asked the king to make a law that 
these people, not only that Mordecai, but all of his people would be destroyed. And this is where we're breaking in here in Esther chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatash, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatach went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate, and Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her, that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. And Hatash came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spake unto Hatash and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For... If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and Fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Stop there. Here we can see Esther put on the spot. Esther was in a position that she could possibly make a difference. She was in a position that she could possibly make a difference for many people. And I guess I would like to, to say to you this morning, I think every single one of us, are in a position that we can make a difference in someone else's life. It may not be to the degree that Esther could make a difference. It may not be that you can change the verdict for as many people as Esther could. But you can, by God's grace and through His power and through the Holy Spirit working through you, you can make a difference And I'm not saying you aren't making a difference, but I wonder if you're living up to the potential that God would have you to live up to. I will have to say I don't believe that I have, and I don't know that I will, but by God's grace, I desire to give my body wholeheartedly 
and sold out in a way that He can use me to the potential that He would have me used. You know, it would have been much easier for Esther to just say, you know, I can't go into the king. It's against the law. What do you mean? And you know, that was her first response. She could have easily... And you know, there's a good possibility that she could have lived. That she would have, because of her being the queen, that she wouldn't have had... ...half million people that have left their homes. Yes, right now, today. And over 5,000 have been killed. UNICEF estimates that more... That's a UN agency. Estimates that more than 6.5 million children are in need of assistance right now. 6.5 million. An increase of more than 2 million in the past year alone. More than one and a half million have been forced to leave, to flee their homes. Maybe I should write some of these figures up here on the board just to make it something that will stick. Uh, six and a half million children in need of assistance. We have 6.5 million children The fighting in Syria has forced more than 2 million people out of the country and into refugee camps. Almost 5,000 citizens a day, on average, are flowing out of Syria. The level of human displacement is the highest on record. It's unprecedented. It's never since history, since records have been kept, have so many people been forced from their homes. 51.2 million. have been forcibly displaced, and we'll just do FDP, forcibly displaced. Afghanistan, Syria, and Somalia are the top three source countries of these refugees. Of those 51.2 million People, 50% of those are children. 50% of that that 51.2. So you can figure about 26 million children have been forced out of their homes. Worldwide, 32,200 persons per day 32,200 persons per day are forced out of their homes. 32,200. And we'll do FDP again. Approximately 44% 
of children under the age of five in Ethiopia are severely, chronically malnourished or stunted. This lack of nutrients results in irreversible cognitive and physical impairments. The largest refugee camp, the last that I had uh, heard, was over in Kenya. They call it the Dab. People are fleeing there from Somalia and, and Sudan, I believe. And they, and some of it is because of wars. Some of it is because of famine, because of drought. The drought is so severe that they say that the road is littered with dead animals that have, have died because there just wasn't anything left to eat. And these people go for hundreds of miles on foot to come to this refugee camp. Or others. There's many others as well. They walk. These are women and children that go for miles, days on end, through hot sun in the desert to come to a place where they can live in a tent. That's the best they can do. Now, let's come home. What's it like here? More than two in three adults in the USA are considered to be overweight or obese. Contrast that with starvation and dying. A recent report estimates that obesity cost the U.S. $663 billion in 2012. The global cost of obesity has risen to $2 trillion annually. Approximately $105 million is spent on food purchased and then tossed by U.S. households every day. A hundred and five million purchased and then tossed. The approximate amount spent on global food aid each day, get this, I should have that on the board, but hopefully you can grasp what I'm saying here. A hundred and five million is wasted Food bought and then wasted every day in the United States. Approximately 5 million is spent per day for global food aid. So what we're saying there is what is spent for global food aid is just a fraction of what's wasted in this country. What is being spent for the aid of others who are starving is only a small fraction of what's being thrown away, of, of what's being bought and then thrown away. How much would it take? Five million is what's being spent. The estimate is that what it would take to feed all of those that need feeding would be 31 million per day. So still, even if you, if the United States would only Throw a, throw a third less away than they do, it would be enough to feed all the hungry. Spending on weight loss programs and products in the United States, it's $167 million. Over 10 million people died of hunger last year. And I know I'm giving you all kinds of statistics here, lots of them, and, and maybe I'm overdoing it. But here is the burden for me, and I, I, don't, I don't have any reason to believe that, that you are, are wasting like the rest of America. But are we doing all we can? Are we doing what God would have us to do? And you know, I'm not saying that every one of us ought to be catching the next flight to go over there and start distributing food. I am not saying that at all. In fact, I don't, don't, I hope none of you thinks that's what I'm saying. But I do wonder whether some of us shouldn't dig into our pockets every now and then a little bit deeper than we dig. 
I wonder whether we shouldn't give a little bit more than we give. I wonder whether it's okay with God for us to be sitting here in our comforts, for us to be living our lives in such a prosperous, exorbitant way while others are starving to death. Can that be right? I ask you, can it? Can that be right? And I am not going to give a lot of answers today. But I am going to, to throw this out. And I'm not saying, again, I, I'm not saying these things because I'd like to, you to feel guilty. I'm saying these things to inspire you to look up at what we could be doing. To look up and say, you know what? I am going to make a difference for God. I am here. He's put me here for such a time as this. He's put me in this land. And you know, maybe it's something just as close as the next door neighbor. Maybe it's something as close as Lebanon. Maybe it's Pottsville or Redding or wherever it may be for you that he's called you to go. But let us live up to the potential that God would have us to live. No, I don't think that all of us are necessarily even called to send money over there. Maybe we don't have it. But many of us ought to live sacrificial lives so that we can give to others. I believe that is the call of Scripture. And I would like to, to just, I guess at this point, as I said, I would like to be an inspiration rather than a negative. I, don't, I, I have no desire for, to be stepping on any toes this morning. I have no desire for you to, to feel all bad and down because, hey, I'm not doing everything I should have done or, or whatnot. I'd rather raise you your sights up and, and say, oh, but I can do this. And you know, you young children, maybe you're saying, well, I can't do anything. I'm going to give you a few stories. And by the end of this message, I hope you feel like there may be something I can do too. Okay, let's start with the story of Miriam. And if you would like to turn there, Exodus chapter 2, I'd just like to look at Miriam, Moses' sister, a young girl. We don't know how old she was. Um, I think we'll just start reading in in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 2. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew. And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Just a few thoughts here with Miriam. There's no doubt, you know, uh, very little at least. I, I firmly suspect that she had held her little brother. She loved her little brother. She loved this little baby, this little three-month-old baby now. She loved him. She cared for him. She held him. And she, she, she was there while he was... In their home, and and you young girls, you re, you can imagine what that would be like. You know, I mean, maybe many of you have a younger little brother that you have held and that you have have cared for. We don't know a lot about why Miriam was there. 
I don't see that she was told to be there. I don't see that she had to be there. I, I imagine it was a bit uncomfortable to be hiding back here, watching down there to see what's going to be happening with my little brother. She could have more easily, it would have been, you know, just normal for a girl to be scared. You know, to be scared of what's going to happen. And maybe if she had the bravery to at least go that far and to, to stay and watch, it's a whole lot more brave yet to go down and talk to Pharaoh's daughter, to the princes of Egypt, to go down there and, and say, hey, would you like a nurse? That takes some bravery. That takes some boldness. It would have been much easier for her to think, well, I guess he'll be cared for. I guess he'll be taken care of. She's getting him. Good. Now I can go home. No. That wasn't Miriam. She had no doubt witnessed how cruel the Egyptians were. She had no doubt known about that. And she, she made a difference just by what she'd done. She made a difference. There, uh, once a year, uh, there's, uh, in this country, and I, I'm certainly not downplaying it by any means, uh, they call it Make a Difference Day. I think it's sometime in October. They've been doing this for years. I remember, uh, for years already I'd hear about it every now and then in October. They'd have Make a Difference Day. And what they would do is they'd do wonderful things. They'd go and, and you know, they would, would help the needy. They would uh, go and, and do things for the poor. And they would do this on this certain day. They'd make a difference day. Well, may I say to you this morning, how about make a difference lives? Let us live every day to make a difference. Let's not be satisfied with one day. But let us give our lives to make a difference. God has called us here. It's His, it's His design. That we as Christians should live holy, godly lives. Yes, to shine as lights in the world. To let the world see. What does the Bible say there where it speaks of the light? It said, they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So that's the object, that's the purpose. We are here that they may see our good works and glorify us? No. We're here that they may see our good works and glorify our God in heaven. That's what we're here for. That's what we're shining for. That they may glorify our Father in heaven. And we've probably all heard this story, but I'll tell it again. Of the, uh, the young man who went, went out on, on the beach. And as he was walking along, he sees this old man walking along. And every now and then, he would stoop down and he would grab up a starfish and throw it out into the ocean. And this young man, he looked and he seen thousands upon thousands upon thousands of starfish. And he thought in himself, how ridiculous this old man. Here he's thinking that he, by throwing out that one starfish, he's making some kind of a difference. And so he goes up to the old man and says, what, what do you think you're doing? You know, I mean, there's thousands of starfish here. There's thousands of them. And you're throwing starfish out and thinking you're doing something? Come on. The old man, he walked along, stooped down again, picked up another one, threw it out over the waves, and he said it made a difference in that one. That's what I'm saying to you this morning. You know, looking at these figures, it can be overwhelming. You can think, I mean, what is my measly few dollars going to make a difference there? It can make a difference in that one. It can make a difference in this one or that one. I'd like to give you another story of a young lad, he's called in the Bible, We've got a story, I just got through with the story of Miriam, for you young girls, you young boys. There's a story of a lad in the Bible, and we don't know his name. 
Maybe we can call him Johnny this morning. And if you would turn with me to John chapter 6, we'll read about him. John chapter 6, in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh, when Jesus Then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. He said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, and every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? A lot of of what I have to say to you about this story is conjecture, but I think we can deduce at least some of this. I guess I would ask the question, have you ever wondered How did it come to be that you have these thousands of people out on the mountain with nothing to eat? Thousands of them with nothing to eat. And one little boy, one little boy is out there and he has a few loaves and two little fish. Has five loaves and two fish. One boy of all things, a lad of all things. You have all these grown men, women, and children out there on the mountain, and they don't have anything to eat. Now, do you, do you notice the story doesn't say they didn't? There may have been. There may well have been some of those others that, that had something along too, but they didn't let anybody know because, hey, I need it myself. Maybe there were. I don't know. There could have been. Many others out there that had something with them. But, hey, I'm not going to share it with these people. I mean, how many people? Let's imagine for a moment what it would have been like if you're the little boy. If you're the little boy and somebody comes up to you and says, we'd like to have your loaves and your fish. He could say, well, you know what? I can let you have one fish. And four loaves. But I really need the other loaf and the other fish. Because I'm hungry myself. Can you imagine how different that story would have turned out? If that young lad would have had that to say. But no. As far as we know, that lad gave it all. Gave it all willingly. When they came to him. Now you you uh, say, well, you are using your imagination quite a bit, maybe. Uh, and maybe I am. Uh, but one of the things I've wondered about, how did it come to be that when they gathered up the fragrance, they had all those baskets? What was in the baskets to start with? How did they get, I mean, why did they have baskets if they had nothing in them? So, I just... I have to wonder whether there wasn't more to this story, you know, than what we're reading. Obviously, there is more to the story, but we don't know what all there was to the story. So anyhow, that young boy made a difference. He made a big difference. He didn't think, well, you know, there's really no point in it anyhow, because these fish and and these loaves, they won't go far enough to do any good. No. Let us do the same. Let us give what we have. The uh, many of you, I'm sure, probably most of you have heard of Booker T. Washington. He tells this story and he called it his entrance exam to um, the uh, 
college that he went to, Hampton Institute. Here's what he had to say. The head teacher ordered Washington to take a broom and sweep the classroom. This is when he came and applied. Because he knew this was his chance, he swept the room three times and dusted the furniture four times. When the teacher returned, she inspected the floor closely and ran her handkerchief over the woodwork. Unable to find a speck of dust anywhere, she said, I guess you will do to enter this institution. Washington later said that this was the turning point of his life. He went over and swept the floor three times and dusted the furniture four times. He wanted to make double sure that he had everything as perfect as he could make it. And it paid off. Maybe that's all that God's calling to you to do this morning is that you do the best with what you've got to do with. That you do it the way that Booker T. Washington did his job. You do it well, and you do it with all your heart. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do. Can you make a difference? Can I make a difference? Is it possible for us to make more of a difference than we are making? Could it be possible? And, you know, I I don't have the answers to all of that. But I believe the answer is a clear yes for many of us, at least. We could do more than we've done. We could do more than we're doing, maybe. And I, again, I'm not trying to bring any condemnation upon anyone. I would like to inspire you to show you what God could do with you and me if we would give ourselves Totally to him. I'd like to give you another story of a young boy. This one happened back in December of 1983. 11-year-old Trevor Farrell over in Philadelphia seen a, a news program on TV about homeless people. And being 11 years old, he, he had never heard or thought of such a thing. He lived close there. He lived in a suburb of Philadelphia. But he never never crossed his mind that there were people who actually didn't have a place to stay. So he asked his, his mom and dad, is this true? I mean, are there really people out on the street? Well, they, you know, it was a, a bit uncomfortable for them to to go into this, but they decided, you know, maybe we should just go ahead and tell him a little bit what it is some people are living. And this young boy said, can we go? Can we go and, and see them? And so, reluctantly, his parents said, well, yeah, maybe we can go there one evening. So one evening, they went down into the city of Philadelphia. And there, as they got down into the slum area there, here there's this man slumped over a grate. This was in December, cold slumped over a grate to get a little bit of warmth. Well, Trevor, he had thought, well, you know, it's cold outside. And so before he left, he grabbed a blanket. He thought, you know, I can at least give him a blanket. And so he, he, uh, his parents stop. He jumps out of the vehicle and he goes up to the guy and he says, Sir, here's a blanket. And the man looks up says, oh, thank you. God bless you. Now, he could have gone home and said, well, I've done, I done my job. I feel so good about what i just done. But, you know, his parents got involved and they began to take in peanut butter sandwiches and blankets and, and other people started hearing what they're doing, that they're going down into Philadelphia and they're giving out these clothes and, and the blankets and the, and the food. And other people got involved and someone donated a van and this thing just started snowballing. That organization is still going because of an 11-year-old boy. Because of an 11-year-old boy who saw a need and was willing. Was willing. 
to be used of God. When people come, came to him, I mean, he, he got all kinds of recognition from back, it was back, uh, Ronald Reagan was president, I guess, at that time, and, and the president, uh, Mother Teresa, to all kinds of people, you know, heard about this young boy. And what did he tell them? He told them simply, it's Jesus inside of me that makes me want to do this. <clears throat> May it be Jesus inside of us. May it be Jesus inside of each one of us that makes us do what we do. <clears throat> For such a time as this. <clears throat> For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who are hot and on fire for God. You know, the world is overloaded. Can I say it this way? The world is overloaded with lukewarm Christians. The world is overloaded with people who are pew warmers. The world is overloaded with, with those who name the name of Christ, but their lives show nothing of it. The world is overloaded with those type of people. But the world needs Christians who are stable who are not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who have been through the fires of adversity and come out the other side shining purer and brighter than they were when they went in. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who will proclaim the whole counsel of God and not just some pet doctrines. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who cannot be distracted by glamour or sightseeing or entertainment or any other unprofitable activities. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who have their bodies in subjection, who are not enslaved to music or sports or food or any other legitimate activity. Christians who are willing to suffer and sacrifice so that others can prosper and flourish. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who have their minds in subjection and are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who are full of mercy, whose heart is bleeding for the lost and wandering, for the helpless, for the suffering, for the fatherless, the widows in their afflictions. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who find their satisfaction in pleasing God alone and who aren't seeking the approval of the world. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who bridle their tongues through the help of the Holy Spirit and whose tongues are now set aflame with the divine word of God. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who have laid aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us that we might run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Consider Him, my beloved brothers and sisters. Consider Him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who are gentle and kind and merciful, who are open to criticism and easily entreated of others. For such a time as this, the world needs Christians who are content to be out of the limelight and work behind the scenes for the glory of God. I would like to uh, yet read a, uh, another passage from Matthew chapter 25. I'm not sure what time you usually go to uh, about now. All right, Matthew chapter 
25. I'll start reading in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, a good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful, done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid my talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest, knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money into the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was an hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also, say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily, I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. I find it interesting that Jesus goes from telling this parable of the talents to giving us what it's like at the end of the world. He goes from 
say from the talents, and then he, he, he just blends it right on in, and he says, To him that hath shall be given, and from him that hath not shall be taken even what he hath. And I believe he's talking about that one that was given one talent. And you know, he's, he's saying, he's, it's going to be taken away. That's the challenge for each one of us this morning, I think, is, are we? Are we using the talents that He's given us? Are we satisfied with giving back just exactly what we were given? Or are we producing more? Are we bringing forth more than what we were given? You know, the the one with five talents and the one with two, I think it could have been just as well. If that one that had been given one talent would have come back with one more, he would have been, he would have heard the same good words. Oh, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. It's not how much you were given, it's what you do with what you were given. That, I believe, is the, the key, the crucial part of this story here. And he goes right on down and then he says, you know, it's like this at the end of the world. You'll have these people that are, they're going to come. And I'm going to say to those on my right hand, come on in, enter into the joy of your Lord for you. When I was in, in prison, you came and visited me. When I was sick, you came. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was... All of the other things that he says there. You came and, and you know, the righteous say, when did that happen? When did that come to be? They, it seems they weren't even mindful that they were doing such a thing. And I think that's the way it ought to be. I think it ought to be that way, that we are just doing these things because, as Trevor Farrell said, you know, it's because Jesus is in me and is causing me to do these things. It's because I have the love of God that constrains me. I can't help myself. This is what I want to do. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Let me ask you. If you heard this morning from a reliable source that Jesus has come back to earth, he's over in England, and they put him in prison. They put him in prison, and they're not giving him anything but water to drink. And if you would only give a thousand dollars, if you would give a thousand dollars, you could get him out of prison, and you could get him food to eat. Would you do it? Would you find a way? Would you find a way to get Jesus out of prison? For a thousand dollars. Would you do it? Jesus said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye've done it unto me. So, Jesus is in prison this morning. Jesus is hungry this morning. In that sense. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, Ye have done it unto me. I think I'll close with that.